Good morning. It is good to see the presence of each and every one here again. Uh, let me just go ahead and again express my thankfulness to the elders here for uh, giving, my, giving me and my family an opportunity to come down here and meet you all. You all have been more than nice, more than hospitable, and it really has made an impact on us, and we are so appreciative of that. I heard Brother Stephen also mention in the announcements that there are visitors here with us. Obviously, I don't know who you may be, uh, but if you are here from the community or from other churches, whatever it may be, um, I'm sure that no one would disagree with me on this. We encourage you to get a Bible in front of you if you don't have one with you and open it up because I mentioned, as I mentioned in the adult class, these are the words that's going to judge us in the last day. That's the words of Jesus there, and we want you to have that. And if you should have a question about what, the way this service goes, and feel free to ask myself, and I'll put you into contact with the right people, and we'll be happy to sit down with you and open up the Bible and the Bible only and show you why we do what we do um, and what they do, I should say, here at Fairview uh, Park. With that being said, you can go, to, go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, if you want. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. We're going to talk about living a focused life. The great golfer Arnold Palmer tells a story recalling the 1961 Masters Tournament. And in this interview, which happened many, many years ago now, he talks about him going into the final hole with a one-stroke lead. And he had just hit a very satisfying tee shot. He goes, and he said, I was in really good shape, I thought. So as he was walking up to the ball, he saw an old friend standing at the edge of the gallery. His friend motioned him over. He stuck out his hand and said, congratulations, Arnold. Arnold said, I shook his hand, but as soon as I did, he said, I knew I lost my focus. On my next two shots, he continues. He said, I hit the ball into the sand trap. Out of the trap, I put one over the edge of the green. I missed the putt, and I lost the tournament, the Masters. He said, you don't forget a mistake like that. He said, you just learn from it. And I have been determined that I will never make that mistake again, and I haven't in all the years since. Folks, if we know anything about athletics as a whole, we know that they must stay focused if they are going to experience success. And the Apostle Paul used a wide variety of illustrations to bring his points home to us, to make it easier for us to understand. And athletics is one of them. And for an example, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 5, he says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He tells the Corinthian brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 at verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. A lot of parallels can be drawn from sports that are applicable to our lives. Teamwork, self-discipline, practice, patience. And if a team or a coach isn't focused they will not be able to play to their full potential. And that same concept applies to our spiritual lives today. As Christians, if we are not focused, we're not going to be able to play to our full potential either. And in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, this portion of Scripture here, we're going to learn some examples, I feel, that we can learn about living a focused life. And in, in those passages we see here, Paul says, Philippians chapter 3, Verses 12 through 14, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As we go through this sermon, keep in mind about how much focus it takes to live a Christian life. And Paul is a great example of that. And as we dive in, we're going to look at a couple challenges that I feel we can take this passage and apply to our lives to help us live a focused life. The first one was this, never become satisfied. Never become satisfied. Sometimes as Christians, we may lose our focus because we have become, we are satisfied in our walk with the Lord. You know, we may have heard the story about the mom and dad who's laying in bed one night. They hear this big thump come from their uh, son's room. They get up, they run to the bedroom, and sure enough, they find a little boy on the floor in a daze. And parents, you know, being the geniuses that we are, we ask the kid, son, what happened? The kid goes, man, I guess I just fell asleep too close to where I got in. Man, bingo. That's exactly right. Sometimes in our Christian lives, when we enter our spiritual race, our Christian race, we may stay too close to where we got in. That's maybe why we fall out sometimes, because we're, we're not progressing as we should. Folks, spiritual stagnation, or spiritual satisfaction, I should say, equals spiritual stagnation. When we think that we have achieved, or we have arrived, or we've got to this place where, yeah, I know enough. I'm good right where I'm at. We become stagnant. My friends, that's, I believe, is when we can begin to fail as Christians. Listen. You know, athletes never appear, no matter how good they appear, they never seem to be satisfied with where they are. They're always constantly working to get stronger, faster, bigger, whatever it may be. And Paul was the same way. He is focusing in on areas where he could progress. That's why he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this. And in verse 13, brothers, brethren, I do not consider that I've made it my own. There's a level and a sense, if you will, of dissatisfaction here with him. And that may surprise us. Because of who Paul was. If we made a list of our top five Bible characters, I'm sure Paul would probably be on most of our list because of, of, of Paul and who he was. Listen, this is the reason I stress not to be satisfied with where we are. We always have room to grow. And folks, listen, God is not expecting perfection out of us. But God is expecting progression. That's all he's looking for. He knows we're not going to be perfect, but he expects us to grow. And if we do that, if we stay focused, we're going to come across here on focusing on our purpose or the purposes in our life. Paul said this one thing I do. And in this moment here, he's talking about forgetting the things that lies behind him, okay? And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But whether Paul was mending nets, whether he was writing letters from prison, whether he was preaching in the synagogue, whatever it was, Paul was constantly striving to do the will of God. Paul knew his purpose, and God has always given us purposes to focus on. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, 20, at verse 28, Jesus says, I'm not here to serve, I'm not here to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. There's two of Jesus' purposes there. Then in Luke chapter 19, at verse 10, he says, we must say the same thing. I'm here to seek and to save the lost. Christ knew his purpose and purposes. Do we know what ours is? We know what Moses' purpose was. We know what Joshua's purpose was. Story of Paul there in Acts as well. But what about the church as well? The church, Christ left his church with a purpose as a whole. 
and as individuals. That's to serve others is one. And that involves labor and work. We've seen the song, I'm sure you guys have in the book somewhere, I Want to Be a Worker for the Lord. You know, we've seen that song. I want to love and trust your holy word. I want to sing and pray and be busy every day in the kingdom of the Lord. When we sing that song, do we mean it? Because what about if you guys are doing some community work, volunteering at a homeless shelter or wherever it may be? And you just sing that song on Sunday morning and your approach at Sunday afternoon, hey, we're going to over, go over here and, and volunteer uh, Thursday. Ah, oh, man, can't make it. Ball game's on, whatever it may be. But we just sang the day before, I want to be a worker for the Lord. Folks, that's our purpose, one of our purposes as children of God and as a church as a whole, to serve others. We're also here to fellowship with one another. We're here to bear one another's burdens. We're here to pray for one another. It's a place of discipleship where we come here to learn more about God, more about Christ, more about ourselves. Christ also left the church a purpose as a place of evangelism as well. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, he told the apostles there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things, he said, that I command you. Now, here's a reality check. Do we know our purpose? Our purposes can be hard to find sometimes. Sometimes we have to look a little harder. Sometimes we we may have to think outside the box. But have you ever considered a tragedy in your life as happening for a reason? To bring glory to God in some way. Sometimes we have to think like that. I'll give you a a perfect personal example of me. When I was 15 years old, I got diagnosed with non-lymphoblastic lymphoma cancer. I had a tumor in my chest the size of a grapefruit with the length of a watermelon. They said, hey, go in there, we'll get it out, you'll be back in basketball in two weeks, great, no problem. They got in there, found out it was wrapped around too many vital organs. It was a lot worse than what they thought. This is 1989, mind you, okay? I had a 30% chance of living at that time. If I had some teenagers stand up here and they stood next to me, I met three people during that time, Stephen, Scott, and Deidre. They're all the same age. All had the same type of cancer except Deidre. She had leukemia. You're staring at the only survivor. Why me? What was wrong with Stephen and Scott? There was nothing wrong with them guys. They were just like me. We were 15 years old. We were going to get a driver's license. All that fun stuff. You're staring at him. One day I told that story at camp, the FC camp in Ohio. That's where I spent many, many years up there. One night we're standing around a bonfire, and I told that story. And I had my brother Zach and two of his buddies stand up. I did that kind of same illustration. And when I got finished, this young man from Louisville, Kentucky, by the name of Derek, I don't remember his last name, he stood up because I want to be baptized. He said, that could be me right there. I want to make sure I'm ready that that happens to me. Folks, if I went through all that chemo, all those surgeries, everything that I went through for that one moment in time to tell that story, for that to prick Derek's heart, so to speak, to be baptized, It was worth every minute of it. I'll do it again in a minute. 
That's a purpose that we have to find sometimes in our lives. That's why when we're told to share our, our, our stories, you know, share our burdens with people. That's why, because there's some good that can come out of it. And as a church, my friends, we must understand there's some things that we have to do. We have to look for our purposes. And if we're not careful, it's easy to let things distract us from our purpose. These things right here, I don't know if they even make them anymore. Maybe they do, I don't know. But for you young kids, it's a Swiss Army knife. When I was coming up, that was the coolest thing going when I was a kid. I wanted one of them so bad, I had no, no reason to have it. I just wanted one, because everybody else had one, right? So I got this Swiss Army knife, and I got And once I had it in my hand, in my possession, I realized this thing isn't practical for me. I got no purpose for this thing. There's too much stuff crammed in there for it to really even function right, right? Well, folks, sometimes our lives can look like a Swiss army knife. We can cram so much stuff into our lives where there's not enough time for what's important. We realize, wow, all my time is consumed. Amen, let's be honest. A lot of times it's this is what gets neglected. Guilty as charged. I'm not perfect. Our lives are extremely busy. That's a distraction that can cause us to lose the focus on our spiritual life because we are too busy doing everything else. You see, the, the importance of finding and knowing um, and searching for our purpose is imperative because if we don't know our purpose, we'll never know when we're distracted. If you're not working for nothing, how do you know when you're lost? You don't. But if we are focused Christians, we'll know when we are becoming distracted. The greatest example I can think of is in Matthew chapter 16 at verse 21. Open your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 16 at verse 21. We're going to read a story here, a couple of verses. When Peter tried to distract Jesus, I want you to pay attention. There's a whole lot going on here, okay? And in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, at verse 21, it says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter, now this is Jesus' right-hand man here, right? And Peter said, took him aside and said, I want to rebuke you, Lord. Far be it from you. This shall never happen to you. But pay attention. What did Jesus do? He turned and he said to Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you are a hindrance. The King James uses the word offense there. And in the Greek, it can also mean the word stumbling block. So what Jesus is saying to Peter one of his faithful few, hey, you're Satan, you're a stumbling block, you're an offense, you're a hindrance, get behind me. I have a purpose to do, and you are a distraction. What that shows us is that sometimes those closest to us can be a distraction. The, one who's been, the ones who have been by our side through our whole life can be a distraction. Our best friend can be a distraction. Jesus recognized that and he rebuked it. That is a perfect example of how to handle 
someone who is distracting you. And this shows us that no one, not even Christ, is above being distracted. Ladies and gentlemen, there is an enemy out there that does not want you to focus on your purpose. So I ask, do we become distracted? Do we get sidetracked? Do we become discouraged? Distraction can come in many, many forms, okay? That's why Paul um, says this here in verse 13. We need to focus on the future, basically, Paul says, and not the past. We need to forget what is lies behind. And, of course, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Everyone in this room has things that they've done they're ashamed of, that they're sorry for. And those things can be a distraction to us as we move forward in our spiritual life. But listen, we have to understand that uh, the concept of running, and you can tell by looking at me, but I'm not a runner by no stretch of the imagination. So, but I do know enough about it that when a runner runs, he's not to look back. Because if he looks back, A, he can stumble and fall. B, it slows him down. And he takes his eyes off of the prize, eyes off the finish line that is ahead of him. That's why it's no accident that Jesus warned in Luke chapter 9, at verse 62, he said, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. As Christians, we need to understand the value of what Paul is saying here about learning from our past mistakes. It doesn't mean that we blot out everything that we've done that's happened in our memory because, as, as I said, we can't do that. Paul knew that. So to forget the things that lies behind means here to be no longer influenced or affected by. And as a Christian, we could let that happen, as I said from time to time, myself included. But no one had more reason to be ashamed of his past than Paul. Remember what he did. He persecuted the church. He took great pride in persecuting the church. He killed believers. Then on that road to Damascus, everything changed for Paul, didn't it? Well, Saul then, but you know, became Paul, right? So if anyone was as a past to forget or that could weigh them down, it was Paul. Because to my knowledge, no one in here has ever took a Christian out and stoned him to death or had him killed. So imagine having that weight on your shoulders. So whatever it is that we have, we can not let it influence us or affect us anymore if we are focused on what lies ahead of us. Listen, once our sins are forgiven, my friends, we need to leave them in the past because God, well, in Acts chapter 22, verse 16 as I said a minute ago, he was told to arise and to be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That applies to us today. No matter how bad, as I said last night, you may think you may be, no matter how difficult you may think your life is, no matter what past sin you have that you think would never be forgiven, God will forgive you for that. And it's an open invitation to you to take advantage of that. Sometimes we mess up in our life. Focus is so imperative. And I mentioned sports a minute ago. Y'all may have heard the story about half about almost 100 years ago in 1929. 
California is playing Georgia Tech. And a linebacker by the name of Roy Regals recovered a fumble. He picked up and he ran 65 yards in the wrong direction down to his own two-yard line before he was tackled by his, his teammate. He gets up, didn't understand what happened at first. Make a long story short, they go to punt out of the back of the end zone. They fumble the punt. Georgia Tech's recovered for safety into the first half. They go in the locker room. Coach doesn't really give the, the usual halftime speech, if you will. But right before it's time to go back on the field, he goes, all right, starting team back on the field. Everybody gets up and leaves except Roy Regals. Coach says, Roy, he's over in the corner with his hands in his head, just embarrassed. He goes, get back up. You're going in the game. He goes, Coach, I can't. He goes, did you see what I did to the team? I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed the team. I'm ashamed for what I've done. Coach said, Roy, that's only half the game. There's a whole other half to play. He goes, get up and get back in that game and play the best ball you ever played. Folks, that's implied to our Christian lives. That if you have been a mess up to this point, that's okay. Get up and get in the game. Those sins can be forgiven. That can all be in the past if we want it to be. And get out and play the best second half, if you will, of your life for Christ. Keep your focus where it needs to be. When we talk about focus and reaching and, and, and going toward the, what, what lies ahead uh, for us. Unfortunately, there's sometimes in our life when we are reaching toward that ultimate goal, which is heaven, we put our trust in people around us. This is going to tie in, tie in a little bit with my last point. To help us to get there. And as I said, those around us, those closest to us can be that distraction from time to time, unfortunately. If you're really close to somebody, they'll know how to distract you, and you'll understand when you're being distracted. Because a lot of times what happens, if one person is falling away, they want to drag somebody else with them, don't they, unfortunately? That's why we need to be on guard. And so when we're reaching and straining toward that goal, the idea here is leaning forward, just like the runners do in, in a race when they get to the finish line. They stretch as far as they can to cross that line. As if someone's trying to pull them back. Folks, don't let Satan pull you back as you're reaching toward the goal. We are straining forward toward that. And sure, our ultimate goal is heaven. And we may say, well, what can I do to better myself? Well, set spiritual goals for yourself. Set personal goals. Hey, you know what? I want to meditate on God's word more. Well, hey, I want to read a little more. I want to pray a little more. I want to visit a little more. I want to do more personal work. Whatever it is, all these things will bring us closer to God. Now, determination is so important in our Christian life because Satan is determined to distract you. So this morning, let's make a deal and be determined to beat him and not become distracted by his, trick, his trickery. How is our focus this morning? If you ask yourselves that, and we went around the room, we would all have different answers. When the Super Bowl is won, when the World Series is won, whatever it may be, there are thousands of people cheering. There's people in their home high-fiving, and they're not even at the game because they're so happy their team won, right? 
And that must be a great feeling for an athlete to hear those thousands of people, the roar, the crowd, you know, the, 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 the sound coming down on the field, and you feel that vibration of that. That's got to be an incredible feeling. But that feeling, I can promise you, will not compare to the applause, if you will, when we hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That will be a roar. That will be a, an applause, as I said, like none other. Folks, we can hear that. We can take advantage of that. We can have that happen to us if we stay focused. And I love what Paul said there in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 as well. He says, listen, I have fought the good fight. He says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And because I've done all that, there's laid out for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award not only to me on that day, but to also to all those who loved his appearing. That's us. That's us as believers. Brothers and sisters, if you're not focused, I encourage you to get focused. I encourage myself to get focused. I got ADD so bad, <laughs> you guys, I get distracted in a minute on things. But listen, that's something I got to work on personally. That's Josh. That's not you guys. Put in place the necessary tools to help you be the best Christian that you can be. As James tells us, we're only here for a short time. Our life is like a vapor. We don't know when this world is going to end. We don't know when we are going to pass from it. And if you're here this morning, we strongly encourage you to consider what would happen to you if you should pass from this life or if those trumpets should sound. What would happen? If you are questioning right now, saying, well, I really don't know what will happen to me if it happens. I know I'm not a Christian. There's nothing outside those doors more important than your soul. And for the young people, don't think you're invincible. I thought I was invincible. I had a wake-up call one day. I told you about my three friends who didn't make it. You can hear hundreds of thousands of stories like that from people. Get yourself in the right position if you're there, if you're ready. Don't take a chance. Come forward. Say, yes, I want to be a Christian. I want to be baptized. The water is ready. They will baptize you for the remission of the forgiveness of your sins. You can have that. But if you've done that and you've lost your focus, prayer will help you with your focus. The more prayers, the better. Come forward and, and, and ask for that. Say, I need more prayer to help me stay focused. That would be wonderful. Because I guarantee you the church will pray with you and for you. They'll do everything they can to help you on your spiritual journey. So if you need to make any changes, please do so. We stand to sing the song that Brother Stephen selected.